You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. I'm Kevin, and I'm one of the elders here to serve you and serve Citizens Church. And today we're going to talk about treasures. What would you consider one of the items in your possession that you would think is a treasure to you? Now, I need you to know something about me. I do not drink coffee. And I'm ashamed of this fact, but I'm just appealing to you, please accept me nonetheless, because I know I live amongst many coffee drinkers, but my preferred drink is green tea. And not just any green tea, a particular specific type of green tea that's only grown in the mountains outside of Hangzhou, China. It's called Dragon Well Tea. Now, Dragon Well Tea has a long list of health benefits, far more benefits than coffee, I might say. And they take this Dragon Well Tea by handpicking it during a brief three-week period of time in the spring. Are you still taking notes, I hope? Are you still with me? They, they sun-dry it for half a day. Then they gently pan-roast it to remove all the moisture from the leaves. And this will enhance the aroma and the flavor when you drink it. So for the ideal enjoyment of Dragon Well tea, you need water heated to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. So one of my great treasures is my Vava water kettle at home. Because every morning, I only need to touch two buttons, and in a few minutes, I have 180 degree Fahrenheit water for my tea. Does that make me a tea snob? Uh, yes, no? Well, we all have our treasures whether it's AirPods, Nike sneakers, fiddly figs, Bitcoin stock, a vintage lamp, or your Yeti. There are things that you really like. The problem is, when we treasure our possessions, they have an influence in our lives, and they begin to disorder our hearts. So Jesus taught truth that's remarkably relevant regarding our treasures. In Matthew's gospel, which we've been studying, when Jesus began his ministry, he announced the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. And he taught his disciples that there's a a new kind of life available for those who live in this kingdom of heaven. It's a completely different life than the old ways of the world. It's an upside down kingdom where those who are normally at the bottom find themselves at the top. It's a reversal of everything in the typical society. Those who are marginalized and irreligious and poor, now through King Jesus, find themselves welcomed and accepted and enriched by his grace. So in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that those who live in this kingdom, they choose differently than the people of the world. They choose um, meekness over anger. They choose purity over lust. They choose love over anger. Under the reign of King Jesus, our hearts can be set free. They're set free so now we can enjoy this love from the Heavenly Father. We can go and be with him and find that we have all of his approval and all his love so we no longer need to go out and prove ourselves in the world or seek the praise from men. When we spend time with our Heavenly Father, we learn new habits of 
of learning to, to pray, to give generously, to pray transparently, to fast joyfully. I mean, these are the habits that follow those who are the happy people who live out their earthly lives, listening and following the voice of King Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in our passage today, Jesus focuses on a crucial issue of kingdom living, which is the way we manage our money and possessions. He frequently taught about money. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a recurring theme. And that's because he wants us to learn the way we use our money reveals what we most deeply value. The way you use your money reveals what you truly look to for your meaning in life. It identifies what has captured our hearts. It identifies what we worship, exposes what we treasure. And so, Matthew 6, 19 to 21, one more reading. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are treasures on earth and there are treasures in heaven. And our hearts are preoccupied with storing up and laying up treasures in either one of those places. The way we manage our money and possessions reveals which one, which one has our attention. Just look at the money. The concern is that if we do not learn how to lay up treasures in heaven, we will settle for the treasures on earth. And if we do that, we forfeit the satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at three ideas. Why Jesus commands us not to treasure our treasures on earth. Secondly, how we can lay up treasure in heaven. And finally, how to find our true treasure. So first, why? Why does Jesus command us not to lay up treasures on earth? Laying up one's treasures on earth literally means treasuring your treasures on earth. Cherishing, to adore, to worship. That's the idea behind this idea of treasuring. So Jesus is saying, uh, do not treasure your earthly treasures, treasure your heavenly treasures. You know, we are created to treasure something. And we are always either treasuring the creator or the creation. We are either treasuring our treasures in heaven or our treasures on earth. And here Jesus tells us clearly, don't treasure your treasures on earth. Do not let your iPhone or your landscaping or your online shopping or your Toyota become your preoccupation. Don't let it capture your affections. Why is it that we do treasure our treasures on earth? It's because we believe something about those things. We believe those things can really meet a deep need in our heart. We feel like they, they have value in that regard. The first time I shopped at Whole Foods, as soon as I walked in, I could tell the ambiance here is different. You know, as I looked around, it seemed like all the other shoppers there were above average in intelligence. And they just seemed more sophisticated than an average person like me. And I wanted to fit in. And so I began to quickly just walk through the aisles as if I'd been here a hundred times before. And I found that 
overpriced container of blueberries and I went to check out and they put it in a Whole Foods bag. And I have to tell you, when I left carrying that, that bag of blueberries, I felt like a more intelligent, more sophisticated person. It's amazing. You see, as it turned out, I was using my money to shop at Whole Foods because I was thinking that my presence there and the Whole Foods shopping bag that I would carry out would give me some sense of significance and meaning. So I was trading my money for significance that would come through that experience. Does that make sense? Now, maybe you're of the other tribe and you would never shop at Whole Foods. You pride yourself on the better value of shopping at Walmart or the trendiness of Trader Joe's. Why are you so quiet? I don't understand. I know this is true about you. I see you there all the time. And you roll your eyes at the Whole Foods crowd as totally pretentious. And you believe you're managing your savings more frugally and responsibly. You save, you invest that cash because it gives you a sense of security and control. So you're taking your money and you're saving it away because you believe that money will give you some sense of security and control. But both groups of people, they're still treasuring their treasures on earth. So treasuring your treasures on earth would be the things, the savings, the experiences, or even relationships that when you see it, you say, I need that. I want that. I must have that. Because you believe it's going to give you some sense of happiness or significance or security. And Jesus speaks into this disordered condition of our hearts when he says, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, is Jesus saying that to have possessions or savings or investments is wrong? No. The Bible teaches you should provide financially for yourself and for your family. You should Make a wise financial plan for the future. But Jesus is challenging the underlying motivations of greed and envy and fear that cause us to misuse money that leads to the disordering of our hearts. So he commands us not to treasure our treasures on earth because, one reason, because they're temporary. They're not going to last. Our earthly treasures can be ruined They can lose their value. They can be stolen. At that time, one's assets were not necessarily in currency, but they would be in tangible goods. And for example, one's clothing was a major asset because clothing was extremely expensive and styles never changed. So when you bought a tunic for yourself, for example, you would keep that your entire life and then pass it on as part of your inheritance. That's why moths were a threat. Moths, simple insect, could destroy one of your greatest assets. So his point is, if you're treasuring earthly things, you will constantly be fearful and worried about loss or damage or diminishing value because you instinctively know it's not going to last. It's temporary. Proverb 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Does that sound like any of your investments? 
They just sprout wings and there they go, gone. Listen, whatever you accumulate on earth, it's only temporarily yours. You're going to inevitably leave it behind. First Timothy 6 tells us we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. What a reality check. All of that stuff in your home, all of those rarely used items in your closet, all those piles of things in your garage, all of your investments, the moment you die, it will be rendered worthless to you. It's temporary. Also, we should not treasure our treasures on earth because they're deceptive. Let's say that you, you need a tunic, okay? But you have a limited budget, and so you buy a basic tunic with one of good value, and you're pleased with it. You feel good about yourself, but after a few weeks wearing your tunic around town, you notice other people have a name brand tunic. And you think, wow, that's a nice tunic. And you begin to have some interest in getting one, and you think, if I only had a brand name brand tunic, I would just feel more confident about myself. And so as soon as your budget allows, what do you do? You upgrade. You get that name brand tunic. But after a while, your contentment begins to wane, and you notice another person who has a designer tunic. That's impressive. Now, at first, you think to yourself, you judge him in your heart. He's so bougie, I'd never spend so extravagantly on a tunic. But it's caught your eye, right? And you begin thinking, wow, if, if I could have that. I mean, actually, I think I deserve it. You know, if I had that, it, it would be like an investment in the family inheritance, right? We can justify upgrading anything. Coffee mugs, water bottles, vacation packages, the brand of organic soap. You buy car tires. You buy the original. It's fine for a while, and then you notice something a little bit better, and then you aspire to have it. You think that's going to satisfy. It's the search for the next treasure that never stops. In the parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told the story of a farmer who had a once-in-a-lifetime crop. I mean, this abundance was overflowing. But rather than think of how that abundance might be used to, to help others in need, he spends it all on himself. He's expanding his barns, and he's thinking, this upgrade to my lifestyle, this is going to give me that time to relax and enjoy the work I've done, and I can just sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then suddenly his life ends. And God calls him a fool. That he expended all of his resources on himself, but was not rich toward God. We need to truly pay attention because we never think we spend too much money on ourselves. No one asks, Am I spending too much on my coffee? Am I spending too much on my entertainment? Am I spending too much on my furnishings and home decor? Am I spending too much on my electronics? Am I spending too much on my personal appearance? Am I putting too much in my retirement account? We just never ask that because this is how money deceives us. The book of Ecclesiastes starkly reveals the vanity and meaninglessness of treasuring your treasures on earth. 
author Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, he writes a very interesting paraphrase of Ecclesiastes chapter five. He says, the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. The more you have, the more people and government will come after it. The more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. The more you have, the more you have to worry about it. The more you have, the more hurt you can cause yourself by holding on to it. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And the more you have, the more you leave behind. He concludes by saying, every item we buy is one more thing to think about, talk about, clean, repair, rearrange, fret over, and replace when it goes bad. Yeah. Treasures on earth are temporary and deceptive, and finally, they're controlling. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, your heart is drawn to what you think your money can do for you. The money that you have, it, in a sense, dictates to you. It controls you. What level of restaurant in which you'll eat, the, the type of home, neighborhood you'll buy into, the kinds of hobbies you can enjoy, the, the top quality of clothing you, you go for. Money actually has the ability to capture the affections of your heart. It controls you. My wife, Lisa, and I, we met towards the end of our freshman year at college, and I was instantly enamored with her. She was beautiful, spiritually minded, mature, fun to be with. In fact, Lisa, if you don't mind, just stand and let everyone take a look at you. I'm teasing. She'll never do it. And she'll kill me for that later. But within days, I mean, she was all I could think about. She was on my mind constantly. It became my mission in life to win her affections and cause her to like me, if at all possible. So without a thought, I spent, I easily spent all of my tiny budget on dates with her and gifts for her. I, I, it was not, never a problem because I loved her. <laughs> my heart was lovesick under the controlling influence of Lisa Dawn Goodrich. I mean, that's what happens when you love someone, when you love something. The money just easily flows there. It's effortless. It's joyless, right? It's because you're trusting in that thing or person to meet some deep need in your life. And as a result, that earthly treasure or relationship controls you. The money trail can always be traced back and found to be where your heart is, where that initial desire came from in the first place. Let me ask you, where do you spend or save your money most effortlessly and joylessly? Does your money flow easily to the poor or to the ministries of the church or to the cause of global missions? Or does your money just seem to flow more easily into your investments and your clothing and your home decor and your kids' activities? It always will flow to the things and people in whom you're trusting for your meaning in life. So how can we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? In a world full of buyers and spenders and savers, our heart naturally treasures the treasures on earth. And so Jesus commands us, 
reorder your heart. Reorder your heart to treasure your treasures in heaven. he, He gave an example in Matthew chapter 19 of a wealthy religious young man that came to him and said, how do I gain eternal life? And it's so interesting how Jesus responded to him. He said, go and sell, sell all your possessions and then give, give to the poor and you will find treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. So to gain treasure in heaven, Jesus told him to free himself from the bondage of his worldly possessions. Give it all away and then follow him. So instead of accumulating more and more, it would seem to be the path toward treasuring your treasures in heaven involves giving away more and more to teach your heart something about heaven. Practically, what does this look like? It's a very important truth to note. Recognize all we have, we have received from God. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Author Marshall Siegel writes, we far too easily begin taking the gifts of God for granted until we eventually start taking credit for them. But faithful stewardship begins with a conviction that all we have, we have been given and that all we have been given, we have been given in order to make much of God. God has given you your life, your breath, everything you have. If you have it, God gave it to you. And from that conviction, we give back to God a portion to him. The Bible calls this the tithe. It just simply means 10%. 10% of all you earn or receive is to be set apart and given back to God through the church. And this is a crucial discipline for your good. This is a crucial discipline to reorder your heart, to treasure heavenly treasures. In addition to the 10%, in addition to the 10%, you have the opportunity to become a generous giver. And this is where you just freely give to the needs you see around you. You can give to meet the needs of the poor through community agencies or organizations or ministries. You can give to extend the gospel to the nations and even open up your home to your neighbors. You can give to meet the needs within the church family, helping to pay bills for families in crisis or delivering meals to people who are suffering. If your money does not flow effortlessly and joyfully to Christ and his causes, then something needs to change in your heart. When we moved to China years ago, we gave away or sold all of our possessions, our, our, all of our home furnishings, our clothes, our books, our cars, everything that did not fit into six boxes or three suitcases had to go. And I have to tell you, when that was all done, I'd never felt so liberated in all my life. It was so freeing to feel unencumbered by all that stuff. But then we land in China, and guess what happens? Little by little, 
we begin accumulating again and again, more and more. And now I'm back in Plano and I have a house with landscaping and furnishings and specialty water kettles. And I have to be honest, I'm not at all happier. In fact, I'm more distracted because of the maintenance it all requires. You know, as I studied for this message, I felt the Lord challenging me that I need to give a sacrificial gift just to liberate my heart from possessions. I need to put my treasure where my heart should be. That's the whole point of the passage. Put your heart, put your treasure where your heart should be. You know, today maybe you're sensing the Lord is also urging you to respond. So please allow me to challenge you to give a significant, generous, sacrificial gift to the poor, to the church, to missions. It could be the best thing you could do for your spiritual life to retrain your heart to treasure your treasure in heaven. This is the truth we must receive today. Are you ready? The treasure of heaven is Jesus. The treasure of heaven is Jesus, but only when we give sacrificially and generously will we teach our hearts to treasure him as the treasure of heaven. Only when we give sacrificially and generously will we be laying up treasures in heaven. Only when we give sacrificially and generously will we be experiencing that profound joy of intimacy with Jesus and the freedom that comes by following him. Missionary Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is what Life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. Jesus described it in the brief parable, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He sold all that he had and handed it over. And he did it joyfully. How could he do that? because he found a superior treasure. He found a better investment. He found something that was truly valuable that gave him great joy. You were created by Jesus, for Jesus, to treasure him above all other treasures in life. Not simply just to believe in him, because you can believe in him and still treasure all your things in this world. But to treasure him to the degree that you cherish and adore and worship him as evidenced as your money flows freely to the things that matter to him. How can we get there? We need to remember why he came to earth. In heaven, Jesus had perfect love. He had perfect joy with God his Father and God the Spirit. He had all the wealth and power and security and beauty and honor that he deserved. He had it all. But there was something he did not have in heaven that he wanted. 
It was something that he treasured so much. He was willing to leave heaven behind and enter into our sinful, broken world. God the Son voluntarily emptied himself to become a servant. He was born into poverty. He had few possessions. During his ministry, he had no home. And in his death, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Why would he subject himself to such humiliation and poverty? He did it to rescue us from our spiritual poverty of sin. He did it to make us his treasured possession. This is the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. It cost Jesus everything to save you, and he gladly did it. He gave all he had to make you his treasure and then rose from the dead to make himself the richest treasure of all available to us for all eternity. When you see Jesus sacrificing everything, enduring the world's rejection, humiliated on the cross, suffering from his father's rejection, all in order to make you his treasure, then you can make him your treasure. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, this is a a very challenging passage to reflect upon because as you know, our hearts are so easily attached to the treasures of this world. It seems like we constantly depend on anything and anyone other than you to find our meaning in life. But it never satisfies. We just search for something else. But today, Lord, I sense you are arresting us. And you've opened our eyes to see that bondage that we've put ourselves in. And Lord, we're helpless to change. We we cannot just change what we love. We have to look at you. We have to see what you have done that defines what true love is, the sacrifice, the generosity by giving your life for sinners such as us so that we might become your treasure. Lord, it's breathtaking. It's convicting. It's humbling. And I pray, Father, every person here, every person listening to this truth will not push away that that sense of leading you're giving them now, but they'll take a significant step and begin to, to give sacrificially, generously to the things that matter to you because you've made them your treasure. Thank you for this grace you've given that we did not deserve. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we leave, we will have a greater joy because we've released our grip on the things of this life and we've taken hold of you as you've taken hold of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.